Hi everyone, um, good morning. I'm reading from the ESV translation um, and today's reading is Mark chapter 2 verses 18 to 22. A question about fasting. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast whilst the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And now over to Shelby, who will be leading our sermon today. Well, thank you, Natalie, for that. Um, and good morning, church. Um, I am happy to be back with you guys again this morning. And we're going to continue our study through the second chapter of Mark. And as we study Mark, or really as we study any gospel, something that I find helpful that you might find helpful is to look at the gospels like, like ancient forms of documentaries. Um, and actually, that's a lot of how ancient biographies were written. And I like a good documentary. And a really good documentary will take a main point. It'll have like a central theme, something it's either trying to educate you about, maybe a issue it's trying to convince you, a point of view on. And what it does is it'll take its interviews, its footage, and it'll put things together, it'll rearrange things, it'll leave things out, all to build up towards its main point. And that's a lot of how, that's the same way that these gospels work. They, you can see that they've left different things out, they've rearranged some things. I mean, that's why each gospel, you know, no gospel has all 33 years of Jesus' life. You know, some gospels don't have the same stories because they're all trying to give you a different aspect of Jesus. And Mark especially is sometimes called the action gospel because Jesus does a lot of stuff in Mark. And Mark just begins with Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and Jesus just goes and starts doing things. He, there's no Christmas story, there's no stories about Jesus' life before he starts his ministry. Mark wants you to focus on Jesus once he starts working. And I think the reason for that is that Mark's main goal, just like any documentary, if we were gonna try to sum up Mark, his main goal is to tell us about the good news of Jesus. And we can know that's Mark's main goal because literally the first verse of Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is trying to tell us the gospel. And so we can safely assume everything following verse one is going to give us what is this good news that we should know about Jesus. And in Mark chapter two and three, we really get to see Jesus is starting to show how the gospel is going to change the world. It, it's kind of like Jesus is setting up different themes. He's building a foundation that the rest of his work is going to build off of. And one of the themes that we see in Mark 2 and 3 that Joel has pulled out and that I've really enjoyed these last two weeks is these come to Jesus moments, right? The beginning of Mark 2 is about the story of the paralytic, paralytic man 
and how his friends would stop at nothing to get him in front of Jesus. And then last week we talked about Levi the tax collector and that when Jesus came up to him and said, follow me, he got up, he left everything and he followed Jesus. And we're going to continue talking about that theme because really that's, that is the most important theme of the Bible. The Bible points towards Jesus. The Bible wants you to come to Jesus because nothing can compare to that. There's no amount of worldly success or wealth or fame that can compare to having a relationship with the very being that created the universe. But today we're going to see a slightly different aspect, a slightly different perspective on coming to Jesus. And today it seems like the focus is on how people sometimes set up artificial barriers that can prevent others from coming to Jesus and sometimes can prevent themselves from coming to him. What I mean by artificial barriers are this, that sometimes we will have rules or beliefs that fall outside the gospel. These are convictions. These are things that might be good. Maybe it's that we make sure we distance ourselves from certain things because we know that that's a trap for us. And while sometimes it's good, sometimes it can cause harm. I think one of the biggest things, or maybe the easiest example that I can think of is uh, Genesis 1. There's a bunch of different views on how you interpret Genesis 1. Is the six days, are they literal six days? Are the six days, is each day like a period of time? Or is it just something that's completely metaphorical, like it's not supposed to be taken literally at all. And the thing is, no matter what view you have, you can still be a Christian and believe any of those views because all of those views fall outside the gospel. The challenge, the danger is, is that when we take these views and we try to stick it on top of the gospel, what I mean by that, it would be like me standing up here and saying, you need to come to Jesus. All you have to do is accept Jesus as your savior and you have to believe in a literal six-day creation, right? Like, that's an extra barrier that I'm now setting up that people have to, like, get over before they can come to Jesus. And that barrier could turn people away from be able, being able to draw close to him. It's often, sometimes it's done... Innocently, sometimes it's done in a way that, we're tr that would be beneficial to us, but sometimes we get so caught up in the barrier that we start l drawing away from Christ ourselves. That barrier becomes a barrier for us. Or as Jesus put it, I think, really well in Matthew 23, he said, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And as we look at our passage, you're going to see what I mean by these artificial barriers. And as we read through it, there's probably some questions that just naturally pop up in your mind. And I think that's good to just, let's work through some of those questions that you might be thinking as you heard Natalie read that. I mean, first off, I hope you have your Bible still open because we're going to go through this. But right off, the beginning of our passage says... John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, which should make us ask, well, why? Why were they fasting? Because usually there's a purpose behind fasting, right? We're, we are now more than halfway through Lent. So for those that are counting down the days for Lent to be over, don't worry, you're getting close. 
Um, and you might be fasting from something right now. It might be that you're not eating a certain thing. Maybe you're not drinking a certain thing. Maybe you're like me and you've tried to cut off certain websites and social media that have just, just sucked your time away. And hopefully, the purpose though of doing all that stuff, the purpose of participating in Lent is to take that time or anytime there's that inconvenience, it should remind us of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, the thing that we're going to be really worshiping and praising coming in two weeks from now. So why were the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples fastings? Well, the Pharisees, by this point, had many of them would actually fast twice a week. John the Baptist's disciples may have picked up on this tradition um, because they, it says that they were doing this at the same time the Pharisees were doing it. And you might be thinking, well, why would John the Baptist's disciples copy the Pharisees? Don't they know who the Pharisees are? They're these horrible people. They're the bad guys of the New Testament. But what we forget is that the Pharisees were actually the religious leaders of their day. And while some did care way more about the attention and influence that they would gain as a spiritual leader, not all of them did. And so when you understand also kind of the reasoning behind why they were fasting or why they, were, they set up that tradition, you could understand maybe why you would want to follow it. Because the Pharisees, one of their big things is they did not want to be like the people of Israel that's described in the Old Testament, a people that constantly ignored God's law, constantly fell away from God. So they started setting up all these traditions and rules to almost protect themselves, to insulate themselves so that they wouldn't be able to fall away from God. But what we see by the time the Jesus shows up on the scene is that these tradition and rules have also kept them away from drawing close to God. The issue was that they had made it seem that if you really wanted to follow God, if you were a good, you know, Adonai follower, you would fast too. And so this is why people ask Jesus, well, why is he not making his disciples fast? How can he really be pointing people who follow him towards God if they don't do the same things that the spiritual leaders are doing? And I, it reminds me of this, and I don't know if this is a thing that happened in the UK, but it was definitely a thing for me growing up in the States, in that there was a time when I was a kid where everybody I knew that was a Christian owned a bracelet that had the letters WWJD written on it. And if you don't know what that is, it stands for, what would Jesus do? By the smiles I'm getting from some of the British people here, I think that might have been something that happened over here as well. Um, right? I remember the kid, it almost was like a mark of like, you're a, you're, you're a good Christian if you have the bracelet. And you're a really good Christian if maybe you had multiple bracelets. I remember there was even a song that came out that was looking back sounds more like a cash grab for that artist, but I'm sure there was good intentions there. I point all this out to show how sometimes we can get caught up in religious fads. And sometimes we equate a religious fad to a religious practice. And no matter how great it is, no matter, I mean, really asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? That's a great question. But getting so caught up in that, we almost forget that that's not the Bible. <laughs> we equate that to holiness. 
And so Jesus, in a typical Jesus move, sets out to correct their worldview. The first way to make sure they have a correct worldview is to point him, them to himself, to give them a proper perspective of who he is. Because he tells them this, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then, and then they will fast in that day. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, first, he brings up this image of a wedding. And let me tell you, the Jews knew how to hold a reception, right? For a Jewish wedding, you would have like a week-long party, essentially, where there'd be feasting. And a wedding feast was held in such high regard, you weren't actually allowed to fast at all if you were participating in that wedding feast. And Jesus is telling them that right now there's a wedding go on. There's a feast that should be happening that they are missing out on. And while there's this idea in the New Testament very clearly that the church is the bride of Christ, that idea doesn't actually start in the New Testament because if we look at the Old Testament, we, re we see throughout it that God calls Israel his bride. He says, it says in Jeremiah 2.2, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Hosea 1.2 says, When the Lord began to speak to Ho by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed a great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Ezekiel 16.8 says, When I passed by you again and I looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. So when Jesus is saying that there's this wedding feast going on, and he's calling himself the bridegroom, he's alluding to this idea. In other words, Jesus is saying that he is God. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys, I'm God. I have come down from heaven, and I've come for my, my wife, the nation of Israel. And we often skip over this part because it's the next verses that really are kind of mysterious, but don't miss what's happening here. Jesus is publicly saying that he's God, right? He is saying in front of all these people, he said it actually a couple times now, and we'll see this for um, next week and throughout our study of chapter two and three, is that Jesus is establishing himself as God come to earth. He is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. And notice that the experience it should be for the people of Israel at this time it should be a wedding feast. It should be a joyous occasion. And that is what it's like when you welcome Jesus in. Or as Joel has been putting it, having a come to Jesus moment. I don't know about you, but I'm actually really excited about, I think it's June 20th or whatever the date is, because I can't wait to be able to just enjoy people once again. Having people over, being able to just hang out, enjoy meals, playing games with each other. In fact, uh, we've been talking to some of our friends back in Cardiff and we're like planning this like end of COVID holiday get together thing. And that picture of coming together, of enjoying each other, of just enjoying food together, we're fellowshipping with each other, that's the picture of the kingdom. That's what it's like to come to Jesus. Because as we come to Jesus, we actually come together to form a body. 
where there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, Welsh nor English. If you have never experienced that, then today is the day to do that. You can come to Jesus now and enjoy a heavenly feast with numerous brothers and sisters. So Jesus moves on and notice that after he's correct, it's only after he's corrected their view of who he is, it's only after he's given them the proper view of how they should see Jesus, that then he starts to look at the behavior. And I only point that out is because sometimes I see Christians get caught up or on like fixing the outward uh, actions that somebody's doing, not the heart behind it. Like I hear people say, oh, if only these people just didn't do this, or if they would just start doing that, or if, oh, if they just did this instead of that, right? They're all talk talking about the actions these people are doing, but they're missing the heart. It doesn't matter if we correct a behavior if they don't show up at the wedding feast. That's what's important. That is what is important. And so in typical Jesus fashion, his way of correcting the behavior and worldview comes through a parable. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And... This can be a little confusing because, I mean, well, for me, I don't sew. <laughs> and as far as I know, I don't think I've ever been to somebody's house where they've kept wine in leather bags. <laughs> um, uh, I, that just doesn't seem to be a common occurrence nowadays. But the idea is, is that he, he is answering this question about fasting, which also is kind of confusing because the first part of the, his response talking about a bridegroom and stuff, like that makes sense. That seems to be a, like a direct answer to this question about fasting. So how does this other part actually reflect an answer to their question about fasting as well? Well, there are a few different interpretations of how this works, but I'm going to give you mine because I'm the one up here standing up here and talking. Uh, so you get to hear mine. And if you want to hear the other ones, well, you can go study it yourself. Uh, you see, the idea behind both points, both the putting a patch on an old cloth or putting new wine into old wineskins, the idea is that when you, sometimes when you add something new to something old, you just end up destroying both of them. And I guess for me, one way to understand it that makes it easier for me, and I know this analogy is going to be a little bit nerdy. I'm a nerd, so bear with me. But I think of it like this, because every time... Uh, if you have a smartphone, like an iPhone, you know, every year there's a new software update, like iOS 14 comes out. But whenever that comes out, there's a list of phones that can actually upgrade to the newest software. And you might be wondering, well, why? Why don't they just make every iPhone be able to upgrade? But that's because at some point, an iPhone will be too old to be able to handle the new software it gets to the point where as if you took that, if you forced that new software into that old phone, it would destroy the phone. It would basically make the phone just a very expensive paperweight. And so what Jesus is saying is that he's not saying that the old needs to be replaced. He's not saying that he's come to bring new wine. He, he's saying something different. He's... And, 
I guess the better way to point out what I'm thinking is that the advantage of teaching a story like this, the advantage of studying a specific passage like this from Mark is that it's one of those passages that we actually do get to read about in the other gospels. And Luke actually adds a little thing at the end of this story in his gospel. He adds, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. What I think Jesus is telling them is that they need to stop trying to add artificial barriers to being a follower of Yahweh. They are trying to add something new to something old, and in fact, they're just destroying both. And it makes sense when you understand their reasoning, right? I talked about this earlier. They, they wanted to set up barriers. They wanted to set up these rules to protect themselves from being like the people in the Old Testament. But what they had done is they started putting new wine into an old wineskin. They started, they, in their effort to protect themselves, they ended up destroying the very thing that they were trying to protect. Now again, I, I'm not trying to say that convictions are a bad thing. I'm not trying to say that like fasting is a bad thing or doing things like extra things biblically, like spiritual disciplines are good to have. But just don't try to add new wine to the old. Don't make it so that doing these spiritual disciplines equals being saved. So the, the question really that Jesus is answering is not even the question they're asking. Because they're asking, well, why don't they fast? He's answering the question of, well, why fast at all? And as we stand as people who should be pointing people to Christ, we need to make sure that we're not putting up artificial barriers that would prevent somebody from drawing close to him. We need to make sure that we're not taking something that we hold dear that we think value and saying, well, you need to also have this too before you, can't, before you can become saved. So what? As we continue to study Mark and we continue to see Jesus break down barriers and call people to him, is he calling you today? Maybe you are someone he is calling to break down your barriers. Maybe you don't realize it, but you have barriers that are keeping you from having a relationship with him. And he wants to draw close to you. But you're more focused on these outward exercises than, being able, than Jesus. You're more focused on doing things than the reason why you're doing them. Maybe you're someone who hasn't joined in on the feast. Jesus is trying to call out to you to let him in so that he can dine with you. And if that is you, please reach out to us. You can message us through Facebook. You can contact us through our website. If you're watching this on Instagram, you can, I think you can direct message us through Instagram. Just, we would love to talk to you about that. And either way, I hope as you go about this week and reflect back on this passage, that you just reflect that Jesus is just calling you to come. Jesus is calling you to put aside anything that's preventing you from reaching him and just come to him. Are you too busy focusing on what you are doing to spend time with Jesus? And are you trying to add new wine to the old? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for just the technology to be able to stand here and be able to just 
have Sunday service, even though we are all apart physically, we are together spiritually. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that you've revealed yourself through your word, that you've revealed your son through your word, that we can study and get to know Jesus by reading and listening to what you have written down. God, I just pray that as we go about our weeks, as we go about our days, as we just go through our life, that you will reveal to us if there are barriers that we are putting up, barriers that are keeping other people from coming to Jesus, barriers that are stopping us, ourselves, from coming to Jesus. I pray that we will just realize that there isn't something else we have to become first before we can become a Christian. That your, your son came and died because you loved the whole world so much that you sent your son. And that anybody can come to him. Anybody can receive his forgiveness. God, I thank you for everybody who's watching this right now, whether that be live or in the future. I pray that you will bless each and every one of them. In your name, amen.